What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. Our team look-ahead train rolls onward. We're up to the Sacramento Kings. Greg Wissinger from the Kings Herald was kind enough to join me. He is the managing editor there. Follow the Kings Herald, which does great work at the Kings Herald. He's also a freelancer for the Sacramento Bee. And you can follow Greg on Twitter at GWISS, at G-W-I-S-S. Fantastic follow on Twitter. I highly recommend it. Before we get started, the usual housekeeping notes. Please, please, pretty please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knocks wherever you get your podcasts. Subscriptions and downloading every episode helps out a ton for us. If you do not use iTunes, we still ask that if you have access to it, head over there, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Both of those help us out a ton in the charts too. If this is your first time listening to Hardwood Knox because you love the Sacramento Kings or you are just here at random, consider throwing us that permanent subscription, working us into your podcast rotation. We cover the NBA at large. We're pleasantly sub-mediocre and modestly insufferable. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can follow our YouTube channel, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, subscribe there. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Let's get to some great and in-depth Sacramento Kings talk. A truly fascinating team, by the way, the Kings are heading into this season. But let's talk some Kings now with Greg Wissinger from the Kings Herald. Greg, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast for our Sacramento Kings look ahead. This is the third consecutive year that you've done it. So as you mentioned before the podcast, you're officially a glutton for punishment. I appreciate it. Before we dive into Sacramento Kings basketball, though, first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, it it was a long day, but I have a podcast to do. So, you know, that's always a highlight because I get to talk basketball and get to talk about the Kings and look at the season ahead and things haven't gone off the rails for the Kings yet. So it's an exciting time. Their offseason was like super low key. Uh, the thing that stood out to me is, I guess, one, that it was so low key. And then two, I didn't think I was banging the Rashawn home drums all year that he was going to probably price himself out of Sacramento. And I was just shocked that they were able to keep him on the, the early bird deal. Just what were your, before we sort of dig into the nitty gritty stuff on them, do you have any just general thoughts or impressions or takeaways from the offseason that you're kind of harping on as we head into the regular season? You know, I mean, keeping Holmes was a, a huge win for the Kings that they couldn't really afford to lose him because they didn't have any money. If he left, I mean, they resigned him with bird rights. If he was gone, they wouldn't have been able to replace him. I mean, they would have been kind of scraping the, the bargain bin of, of free agency. And so being able to keep him at what I feel is a below value contract for what he does for the team was huge. Um, Kings got really lucky because we spent most of the year thinking, okay, they're going to be kind of priced out of this. We thought, you know, maybe they should have made some trades at the deadline to kind of open up some of that offseason cap space so that they could have gone over those early bird rights, but it worked out really well. And I'm glad that the gamble paid off because he's so important to what they are trying to accomplish this year. Luke Walton had to be kidding when he said that like the Tristan Thompson at center starting lineup was a legitimate possibility, right? Like do I would call for him to be fired on the spot if they actually rolled that out in the regular season. I'd be very shocked to me. That's more of a, you know, if, if Holmes is banged up or needs a night off or something like that. I mean, you never really know with Luke Walton. I mean, he's, he's done some, some crazy things with lineups and 
you know, there's plenty of people in Sacramento that would be calling for him to be fired even without that lineup change. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where there's a healthy Rashawn Holmes and Tristan Thompson is starting. That being said, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that being said, Holmes got the starting job as a guy who came in as like the third string center or the <laughs> second string center and just the starter played like crap. It was, uh, it was Dwayne Dedman. And so Walton has been always willing to just play whoever's playing best. I mean, I think that is one thing I, we can give him credit for because he's the reason Holmes was given that bigger shot to prove himself and is now established as a starting level center in the league. I, is he going to shoot 1 trillion percent on push shots again? Oh yeah. I mean, that's automatic. I mean, it, it's the most reliable shot in the NBA. Just so, just so good at it. Um, I'm obligated to ask this before we actually talk about the Kings and which is why the Kings were left so long until the end of the Kings and the Timberwolves. I just wasn't sure what was going to happen with the Ben Simmons stuff, stuff with regard to them. How do you feel about Simmons's potential fit in Sacramento? And just as you know, if you're Monty McNair, what would you actually, what would be a realistic package you'd actually be willing to, to give up for him? That's not, you know, I, like Buddy Heald and Lewis King. Like you're not getting Ben Simmons for Buddy Heald and Lewis King. Right. I mean, the, the go-to package among Kings fans is like Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, and two first. And I'm just like, if that was getting the, the job done, it would have happened like months ago. <laughs> like the Kings are not like, you know, grasping at, at holding on to that. And I mean, I, even with the kind of crazy expectations that Maury's floating out there, I, I don't see it ever getting to that being the best offer that Philly can get. Um, to me, the, the package that always made a lot of sense was uh, something involving Harrison Barnes. Uh, I think Harrison Barnes would be a really nice fit in Philly. Um, the the cap mechanics and I haven't checked it recently. I don't know if it changes at all with the season actually starting, but at least in the off season, the cap mechanics worked where Philly could send out Simmons and take back both Buddy Hill and Harrison Barnes contracts. I think that would be more than the Kings would ideally want to give up. And you know, then you got some spacing concerns, you know, because you know Barnes and Buddy Hield are two of their more reliable three point mm-hmm. threats as far as spacing the floor. But something like that, I mean after the preseason and I'm sure we'll get into this, but you could even fit Mitchell into that deal under the cap. I mean, that's a nice combination that, you know, maybe a pick or two. That's a nice combination of win now players, some future assets with Davion and the picks. I mean, that to me seemed like the best Sacramento could offer. I don't know if it makes sense to them. And the sense I get right now is that the Kings are happy to try what they have now. And their offer may change a little bit if they kind of stumble out the gate and uh, you know, maybe the, the good vibes go away and you know, the regular season reality sets in that this isn't going to work. That's where I can see the, the offers really shifting. And I think that's what Philly's counting on too. I, the Kings and the Spurs seem like the two teams where Philly settles and is willing to go the non-star star out. They have like the nice blend of players who fit. They can probably include a young player and then in picks. So it just feels like they would, those two teams have the best balancing out packages. Do you like the idea of De'Aaron Fox and Ben Simmons playing on the same team though? Yeah. I mean, so the kind of the, the line in the sand, at least based on current reporting is that the Kings won't even entertain a package that involves De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halbert. And I don't think they should. I mean, Ben Simmons, I think would be a great addition if you can put him next to those two guys. Because 
almost any package going out of Sacramento for Simmons is probably going to include Buddy Heald, just because the Sixers are going to want that shooting around Embiid. You got salary matching, but then now you got Fox, who has not been a good three-point shooter, and you've got Simmons, who is a non-existent three-point shooter, and you've lost your volume three-point shooter that spaces your floor. So there are definitely some fit concerns. Halliburton showed some nice touch from three. Uh, Harrison Barnes, like I mentioned before, if you still have him, I think there's things you can do with spacing. To me, though, for all the concerns that there would be about roster fit and, and all those different dynamics, I'm still in favor of it if you're keeping Fox and Halliburton. I mean, Fox, Halliburton, Simmons, that's a really nice young trio of players who, for whatever they can't do, they can do a lot of other things really well, and I'd be excited to see how it would work. I think it's a gamble worth taking for a team that's been bad for as long as the Kings have been. I'd probably be with you. I'd also be shocked if Philly did a deal that didn't include. I don't think they should include Fox at all. Maybe if the dynamics of this season change a little bit, they move off of Halliburton. But I love Halliburton, and I'd actually be more intrigued with like Simmons and Halliburton playing together defensively um, would be one of the things I'd, I'd love to see. Uh, De'Aaron Fox coming off a monster year. What's the next frontier for him? That's the question I ask you every single time you're on this podcast, I feel like. Well, and what's been fun is every single year, De'Aaron Fox has made a, a steady leap forward. And this year, I don't know, you know, if you or your listeners have seen the pictures, but De'Aaron Fox came into camp just like jacked. I mean, for compared to the skinny kid he came into the league as, he has put on a ton of muscle. I mean, he's still skinny when he stands next to like any other normal human, but for De'Aaron Fox standards, like, and when I say normal human, I'm not talking you or I. I'm talking about NBA players, right? Um, I'm assaulted, okay. <laughs> but he has put on a, a ton of muscle, which Darren Fox was already at near the top of the league as far as drawing fouls and getting in the lane, creating contact, getting to the line. So really, I mean, the, the next steps for him are making more free throws. He, he's not been a good free throw shooter, despite getting to the league at a, at a top 10 rate. He has not been a good three-point shooter. That could be a big step forward. If he develops a three-point shot to go along with his speed, I think that could really open up some things, you know, just for the Kings as a whole, not just for his game. But really the big thing for him is defense. He He's quick enough. He's capable of being a good defender. We just haven't seen the consistent engagement on that side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And for a team that was the worst defensive team in the NBA last year, and the second worst defensive team in NBA history last year. <laughs> Having your star point guard give a damn on defense it would be a, a step forward that I'd like to see. There's, you know, there's, there's literally nowhere for them to go but up defensively. What's, <laughs> what's the path to them just being measurably better? Aside, you have Davion Mitchell now, which is huge. And then if you're saying if De'Aaron Fox gets better on that end, you do have Tyrese Halliburton, who is just ubiquitous in the passing lanes. That dude is fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, but like, what is there like a, can they get materially better with the personnel that they have? I guess you brought back Harkless and, you know, Thompson could be okay. And Rashawn Holmes is not the worst defensive center by, by a long shot. Uh, you do look at on paper. I wouldn't expect them to be a good defensive team, but I feel like they should not be historically bad. Completely agree. I mean, talent wise, they have players capable of playing defense. I mean, uh, Marvin Bagley is not good at defense. Buddy Hield is really bad at defense. And I think a big part of the issue last year was the Kings spent so many minutes playing both of them at the same time and when you have two really bad defenders on the floor at once 
combined with the scheme the Kings ran last year where they switched everything and never varied from that at all, it was the easiest thing in the world for opponents to just run screens and get switches and then just exploit two terrible defenders. I think staggering those two minutes, I think just having a scheme that isn't 100% switch everything all the time because the personnel is good enough to be a you know, not a great defense, but not, like you said, historically bad. If you just have a scheme that doesn't put your players in terrible positions all the time, I think that'll help. And, and they did get rid of their you know, quote-unquote defensive coordinator. The, the defensive expert that they brought in last year was uh, Rex Clayman. He's now in Detroit. And they uh, brought in Mike, I haven't had to pronounce his name out loud. I've written it, uh, Boriango, I, I think is his last name. But defensive guy has been in the league for a long time, has been on some really good defensive teams and has also been on some not great defensive teams. So we'll see if his scheme maybe works out a little bit better. But there have been promising signs in preseason and even going back to the the California Classic that they do in, in Sacramento, just that led by Mitchell, there's a little bit more of an emphasis of there's players around who actually do care about playing defense, and that's a nice step forward. The my last note on the Aaron, Aaron Fox, since that was the defensive thing that you mentioned, caught my attention. I think people probably focus too much on players. Like jumpers are definitely swing skills, but you get to a point where, like, you know, he's in year was this year six for him? That was like year five, what, year six, year five, year five. So, like, maybe it maybe he's just never an above average three point shooter. That said, do you know what he shot on step back threes last year? On step back threes, he was 23 of 56 which is a very small sample, but it's still over 40%. Is that like a, and I was watching them and it kind of feels like those could be a thing. 41.1% is, is really high. The fact that he's even taking that shot though, just feels like an additional way that he's putting pressure on defense. If that thing is even falling at like 33 or 34% clip, I don't know if he's improving his foul shooting and you're saying he's, he's stronger and he already shot like 70% at the rim last year. Is he going to shoot like 75% at the rim? Um, I'm just so this might be the season in which I'm most intrigued to watch him since he was a rookie. So there's a very real path to him being a, an average or above average three point shooter. I mean, he is really good on just catch and shoots. He's really good at threes from the corner. The biggest thing that drags down his percentage is he takes a lot of off the dribble, like pull up threes at the top of the key, which makes a lot of sense for point guards, right? I mean, that's where they're naturally at a lot of time. They have the ball in the hand, they're dribbling but he's terrible at those, or at least was last year. So if he can improve that, or at least make those a smaller part of his overall number of attempts, it it could shift that overall average quite a bit to where when he is taking threes, opponents are paying a little bit more attention to it. Tyrese Halliburton, I feel like people have already written him off as this guy who can't become like a an all-star in the league. Is there a pathway to him becoming an all-star in the league? Am I, am I sipping too much Tyrese Halliburton Kool-Aid? Like what would be the pathway to him kind of having a, even a fringe star breakout? It's just people just assume he's like this glue guy. He was just so good as a rookie and did so much. I'm like, do we really need to put like that low of a ceiling on him right now? He hasn't even started year two. Yeah. It's kind of funny that people are are putting this, like this lid on the guy who was like a, a top three rookie and contributed in every facet of the game. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, crazy disruptive in passing lanes. He's not the best on-ball defender, but I mean, great team defender and opportunistic defender. 
contributes in a lot of different ways on offense. I mean, brilliant passing. His court vision's fantastic. Good three-point shooter. I mean, the really big thing is probably going to be just kind of, yeah, he, he was very opportunistic with his scoring and didn't shoot a lot. I mean, he's not a volume scorer at this point, or at least as a rookie. So it's probably more, you know, breaking guys down off the dribble, which he has the handles to be able to do. It's just not a, a big part of his game so far. And then get into the rim and get into the line. I mean, he, he obviously is another guy similar to Fox where he's on the skinnier side. So he, he's coming with a little bit more muscle this year and, you know, as the years go on, we would expect most NBA players do add muscle over time and, you know, get to the rim more, draw more fouls. I mean, that's kind of that where that progression comes from. I don't think it's fair to put any sort of limit on what he can do, given what we saw his rookie year. He is just a such a smart, intuitive basketball player where he his understanding of the game is not like most rookies. And that's the part you can't teach. He's got the athletic ability as well. So it's really just a matter of what does he add to the game? How does it come together? It's not to say he's ever going to be a a superstar necessarily, but I think he can be a lot more than just a a basic glue guy that is, you know, your, your forever seventh man on a championship team, which is kind of the, the narrative that sometimes was out there last season. How did you feel initially about the Davion Mitchell pick? Were you more open-minded to it than NBA Twitter at large? And then just, based off what you've seen in summer league and um, you know, since the making the pick, how do you like his fit with this team now? So I was completely thrown off when the pick was made. Um, It's been kind of funny that we, you know, we do a lot of pre-draft coverage at at, at the Kings Herald and he was a guy that we just didn't really pay much attention to just because it seemed like such an unlikely pick that, you know, an older rookie, you know, to where, you know, there's not viewed as having as much upside, you know, fairly or unfairly. And just the, the positional duality with the backcourt for the Kings was set. You've got Fox, you've got Halliburton. Like, why would the Kings be looking at a point guard? But then, you know, you see what he does in, in California Classic and now in preseason and the reports out of training camp. And it's easy to see what the Kings saw. In him. I mean, the, the defensive mindset, the tough note, you know, the, the, just how driven he is on defense. It, it's fun to watch. I mean, not many guys get highlight packages in summer league from their defense. And he absolutely did. I mean, he is so much fun to watch play defense, which even if you're a basketball nerd, there's not a lot of guys that are really fun to watch play defense. <laughs> and he's one of those guys. And then he does have an offense as well. Like he's not a, a complete disaster on the offensive side of the ball. Like, most offensive specialists so having him and yeah the idea of running the three guard lineup we'll see how it works i i have my concerns but i'm excited to see how it goes and i do believe in him as an nba player and it's easy to see how he could end up being viewed as kind of a steal for how far down he was taken what's great about watching him play defense that you don't need to understand how nba defense is actually supposed to work to appreciate just what he's doing like he is That James Booknight game in Summer League, he just like wore that dude's skin as decoration. It was just absolutely <laughs> incredible to watch. You did say that you think the three-guard lineup, you're worried about how it's going to fare. I am of the mind of fuck it, roll that out. I want it to be a staple. Do you think that it's going to be a staple? Is it going to get a real chance to see if it works, or are they going to stagger those three a little bit more than perhaps I would like them to? 
This is my vanity question. I think you're going to see a lot of three guard lineup in Sacramento, because if you look at the way that roster is constructed, they don't have a lot of choice. (laughs) They have two and a half guys that are considered actual NBA small forwards, like Harrison Barnes, who has spent most of his time playing power forward the past two years and, and just had one of the best years of his career, you know, top to bottom at the power primarily at the power forward position so he is primarily a four at this point in his career and in the modern nba mo harkless kind of goes between three and four but he's probably i don't know if he excels as like a a traditional three necessarily he he can slide back and forth and then you've got lewis king who is on a two-way contract and has some upside and potential but he's still a guy on a two-way contract that's it. That's our options for small forwards. <laughs> There's no one else. And you know, they have a bunch of guys that can all play in, in different combos in three guard lineups. Yeah, I mean, Mitchell, Fox, Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and then uh, Terrence Davis. And Luke Walton has said kind of the gauntlet that he threw down for his guards is like, hey, this is the way you guys all get playing time, but only as long as you guys are getting stops and getting rebounds which I think is the right way to approach that. Like if you can get some stops and get rebounds and it's not as a, a complete disaster on that end, why not run three guards? It's not going to hurt you because the offense will be great. So it, it's really just going to come down to the the defensive side of the ball. And, and if it hurts the Kings too much there, that's the only thing that's going to derail it. But there's a decent chance that does derail it. <laughs> is that perhaps a reason this is not necessarily related to the three guard lineup, but you're mentioning like the dearth of pure wings. Is that why it seems like, Kings fans have become so high on Lewis King just because like the idea of him is like an actual wing. And I know he's just on a two-way contract, but you just look at their depth chart. Buddy <laughs> Heels gonna have to play like a lot of small forward at this point, yeah. it looks like. And as you already mentioned with Harrison Barnes, I'm not crazy with like even here, Harkless having to log three, like that's not ideal. Or is there actually something to to Lewis King? Like I haven't watched full Lewis King games. I'm gonna just call it right up, but like watching film of him, like it seems like he's really feisty on defense, but is he someone that you view that could actually, again, two-way contract aside, could actually help this team? Or is this just, you know, we like Lewis King better than Robert Woodard and that doesn't really say anything in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So I think some of it comes from, he had like a 24 point game in like the last two games of last season, you know, that kind of garbage point of the season, the Kings were eliminated from playing, nothing mattered. They weren't playing guys. And it's it's kind of a tradition in Sacramento that towards the end of our season, nothing matters, and they play some guy who's at the end of the bench. He puts up 20 points, and then we spend the whole offseason thinking he's going to be great. Uh, Lewis King then came into Summer League and had a really solid Summer League showing overall. He was a big part of uh, – and again, it seems silly to get worked up over it, but the Kings winning Summer League, like – Kings fans have fun with that because what else do we have to be excited about? It's it's the only way we win championships is summer league. Uh, but he was a big part of that team as well. And, you know, he can, he has a little bit of everything. Like, I don't know what his one definable NBA skill is that makes him stick and stand out, but he does a little bit of everything, which is not bad from a, a bench wing player. Uh, I think he's a fantastic value on a two-way contract. I wouldn't be, entirely surprised if he ended up earning a full roster spot at some point 
And I never want to rule out a guy just because he starts on a two-way contract. Obviously, guys can turn that into a legit NBA career. But I do think some of it is just it's off-season and working fans, and we get hyped about guys with potential and you know, guys who do a few things well, and then we get excited and we buy into them, and they become our large adult sons. Preseason, there's nothing like training camp and preseason optimism. There's just there's yeah. nothing like it. Um, so where do you land on the completely shifting gears here? Where do you land on the Marvin Bagley hope meter? And does is there a hope meter for him in Sacramento long term? I, I would still be very surprised if he is with the Kings long term. I mean, they've been not so quietly shopping him since you know the trade deadline last year. I think uh, he actually ended up got getting hurt like a week before the trade deadline. And I think if he wasn't hurt, there's probably a decent chance he would have been traded. But when he's hurt, again, the value was even lower than before. And, and the Kings ultimately do want to try to get something back for him. They aren't just trying to unload him because there is potential there. I'm not really high on his long-term prospects. I think he could find NBA success, but if he does, it's probably not in Sacramento just because there's so many expectations, so much history. There are things he does well. I just don't know if they're ever going to be enough to kind of live up to that standard of success that's going to be there in Sacramento. Just given where he was picked, who he was picked ahead of, there's a lot of baggage there. And there's also the question of, can he stay healthy? If he ever stays healthy for a full season, he he's always been a solid contributor. And I mentioned it before. He's not a good defender by any means. He, Awful. He's a very, very bad defender. Uh, he can score. He can do some rebounds. I mean, he, he has not done either of those at, at an exceptional level, but he's shown flashes where, I could see where someone could still buy into him. I understand why some people still have hope. I just think if he's successful, it's probably not going to be here. Are they going to, you know, and I know starting lineups don't necessarily mean as much, but is he going to, it seems like it should be Barnes, um, Halliburton, Fox and Holmes in the starting lineup. And that fifth spot is sort of up for grabs. Do you think that's just going to go to him as sort of a, ceremonial start or is, is someone else going to get that final slot? Am I even wrong on the four locks of the starting five? No, I think those four are locks. I, I don't think that there's any question there. I, I think that he's in competition for it. I don't know that we've really seen anything that stands out to suggest he should be the one to end up with that, at least not at the start of the season. I, I would put my money on Buddy Hill. Okay. I think that I think that that's probably the likely starter. I mean, he played a, a fair amount of small forward in small ball lineups last year. And, and especially in offense, those lineups were very good. I mean, again, they had defensive issues, but I think that that's probably the most likely starting line. I'm just curious. I guess if you go that route, it feels like you're really, I know they can stagger minutes, but it feels like Buddy Heald should be like really important off the bench when you're looking at the rest of the players that are going to be coming off the bench. Like they could be hard up for, for floor spacing in those second unit heavy lineups. And I think some of that will come down to staggering. Some of it is just that the Kings obviously are, are also shopping Buddy Hill. And I mean, he was two seconds away from being a Laker until suddenly Westbrook's available and the Lakers shift gears. Uh, I think they're still trying to move him when they can. I'd be surprised if he's with them at the end of the year. And the big thing with Buddy's, he is a guy who cares deeply about whether he's the starter or not. And it would, if he could accept 
that bench role as being the guy who goes out and scores buckets against second units, he would probably have a much better view of like his value around the league and value to contract and all those different things. He just is a guy who's not happy in that situation and tends to be pretty vocal about it. And so I think at least at, at the start they're they're going to probably roll him out just from that combination of, we know he can do it. We know that that can, can work in its own way. And then you kind of stagger lineups from there. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we see Walton tinker with that fifth starter a fair bit, at, at, especially early on in the year. It does feel like they have a pretty clear hierarchy of seven guys who will play a bunch when you look at, you know, the four locks at, at starters and Fox, mm-hmm. Halliburton, Barnes, and Holmes. Tristan Thompson, by virtue of being a backup center, um, Davion Mitchell, and then um, Buddy Heald. How do you see sort of the back end of that rotation? Like if you had to pick the the final three players, if they let's just assume they're going with a top 10 rotation, who are the three players that you would expect to to round the rest of that out? I think uh, the biggest one's going to be Harkless. I, I think he's going to play a lot. Just again, positional versatility. He can play that small ball four. He can play three. So they can do different things there. Uh, I do think Bagley will still be a heavy part of the rotation as long as he's there. And then um, the other two guys kind of for that 10th spot are going to be a combination, probably Terrence Davis and Alex Lynn. Um, I'm not a fan of Terrence Davis as a person, but I think he would be a better fit for the rotation than, uh, than an Alex Lynn who is catching strays from Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, off court issues, aside, it's so tough with Terrence Davis because there's, there's a lot uh, of concerning things off court. Uh, if we just look at him on court, he is talented, but streaky. I mean, he has moments where he looks really awful and there's times when he looks amazing. And he has kind of that weird it factor when you watch him. It's just like that guy just looks like he's doing good things on a basketball court. Sometimes he's not actually doing good things, but he just kind of is that guy that looks like he belongs on the floor more. Not the aesthetics things to explain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alex Lynn, I think, I think that really where that's going to come in is just uh, matchup space because Tristan Thompson Rashawn Holmes, you know, Barnes, none of those guys can handle the truly larger bigs in the league. And that's why they brought Alex on back because they missed having that size, that presence inside. And he had a great year or a great stretch the last time he was in Sacramento and and losing him, they really did miss that big presence when the matchups dictated. We might've already jumped on this but whether it's a specific position or just skill set or just functional void that this team is missing what do you view as their biggest weakness heading into this season it really is that more traditional wing and specifically you know not from an offensive standpoint it's more from the defensive side of things right there's a lot of really talented you know large wing players in the league and and that's kind of goes back to that ben simmons idea is part of the reason why that's appealing is because that solves that issue. You know, even if you want to still call him a a point guard and call it a three guard lineup, he solves that defensive issue as far as the larger wings in the league, the, the ball dominant scoring. I mean, that's where the Kings have struggled in recent years. And I mean, Harrison Barnes is a solid enough team defender, but he's not a lockdown guy. Mo Harkless is more valuable for his defense than his offense, but he's not a lockdown guy. I mean, they don't have anyone who can really lock down an opponent wing star at this point. And 
that's a big problem in today's NBA. Um, so when you look at this roster as of now, anyway, and things can change clearly as the season rolls on, who would be the player that you deem most likely to get traded before the deadline? I still think it has to be Buddy Hield. I mean, I think they're going to still try to move Bagley, but I think that the difference between Bagley and Buddy is that Buddy has a very definable, valuable skill in the NBA. And I mean, we, we just saw where, with how close it was to that Lakers trade, there's going to be a team who sees that shooting and sees the declining contract year over year that Buddy's valuable, especially if you have other pieces you know that are more defensive oriented that can cover up for some of his weaknesses. I've always thought he made a ton of sense for the Sixers, whether it ends up being part of a Simmons trade or not. I mean, mm-hmm. he's exactly what the Sixers need because they've got defensive players who could cover his weaknesses, who could you know cover up for his mistakes and his shooting, his scoring. Just, I mean, he's truly an elite volume shooter in the NBA. It's just kind of hidden away in Sacramento, so no one really thinks about it. But when you just look at the raw numbers, I mean, he never misses games. He makes a ton of threes. He does it at pretty solid efficiency. There's going to be someone that sees value in that at some point, and and the Kings, are, I think, will find a deal. When you look at the Kings, and we talked about it with regard to Ben Simmons, they do seem like they're kind of built – for a consolidation trade just in the makeup of their roster and sort of the, I don't want to say the urgency of their timeline, but you've paid De'Aaron Fox. You have some good NBA players. There is that, that oomph, that nudge to go and get maybe a, a, a star or a quasi star. But is this also a team that could emerge as like one of the bigger sellers at the deadline, just because the crux of their core, if you look at it as Halliburton Fox and Davion Mitchell really is still so young. If this season goes off the rails to start, which I would just argue in the Western conference is eminently possible. Do they look at moving like sort of committing to the bigger picture direction where anyone is gettable except for one of those three? Normally, this taste on your face is palpable right now. Normally. Yes, that would make perfect sense. The reason I don't see that happening at all is because that strategy made perfect sense at last year's trade deadline. And instead the Kings made moves that were more like win now, taking on salary, limiting cap flexibility. Like, you know, they brought in DeLon Wright who ended up getting flipped this off season, but that was the move that took away their cap space to have more flexibility to bring back homes. Like they, they were set up like it was pretty clear to anyone paying attention that the Kings were probably not going to be a playoff team last year. <laughs> like, right. And they brought in vets and brought in win now guys instead of like selling pieces and, and kind of bottoming out for the lottery. And this year's squad is even more built for win now than what they started with last season. I mean, the Kings are seem very much built on trying to end the playoff drought, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, we've seen this before with the Kings where, you know, damn the future, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be the eighth seed. And that's part of the cycle of why we're at year 15 on the playoff drought. Uh, I don't see that changing. And some of that also is just because you look at Monty McNair and where he came from, he came from the Rockets. And that Rockets tree was always – screw draft picks, we'll, we'll trade everything we can to get stars and, and 
I, it seems very much like since he got here, uh, McNair's strategy has been to build an, an asset base that could then be turned into a star via trade. I think I don't like oversimplifying timelines to this where it's championship or bust because it's definitely more nuanced than that. And I don't, I don't have a problem that that's their stance. I think I'm almost at the point though, where it's go out and do it. And I know that it's dependent on who's actually available, but like it's time to make that move. If that's what you're going to set up for, because I do think, and we'll get into this in very shortly that they are in danger of kind of just falling into like that 11th, 12th spot of no man's land in the West. And like, you know, that's not great. Like you're, like you said, year 15 of a playoff drought. And so I would rather, it doesn't, I don't want to say they don't have a discernible direction. I would like them to very clearly be leaning one way or the other. And it feels like they're just too entrenched in that like obscure area of the Western conference. For sure. And and, I mean, the Western conference is, is brutal in that regard, right? I mean, this team if they were in the East, we'd be like, yeah, they could make it an eight seed. Like, no big deal, like, right? I mean, the, the playoff drought would have been over several times over over the past 15 years. It's just the nature of the Western Conference. Um, but yeah, I mean, if the Kings miss the playoffs this year, they will own the longest playoff drought in NBA history, longer than, at that point, than the longest drought the Clippers ever had, which dated back to their time in Buffalo, to their time in L.A. And I don't think the Kings want that. I don't think that the ownership wants that. I don't think the GM wants to be the one who couldn't end that. I mean, there's nothing there that suggests that they're going to be okay if they miss it again. And right now they're not really built that way. And you are somewhat at the mercy of who becomes available and, and what you're willing to give up. But you can only say patience so long to a fan base that has gone this long without any success. This question is matchup dependent to some extent, but what do you think should be their most used or will be their most effective crunch time unit? It it is tough because there's not the clear cut answer. I think it will be very matchup dependent. I mean, I would not be surprised at all if, I mean, it depends how much they're down, but <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw crunch time minutes with Avion Mitchell, Darren Fox, Halliburton, Holmes, and Barnes. Do you think those like four the we've I've outlined as locks as starters, or those four like probably also lock? Like, is there a situation where you're taking Barnes off the court in crunch time or Holmes? Like, I just don't see a reason. No. To, it feels like four no, of those I, spots are pretty much sewn up. Then, yeah, I mean, Holmes and Barnes are both excellent two-way players i mean neither of them are superstars or anything like that but what they do they do extremely well and they don't have a glaring weakness in their game now there were times down the the stretch where they might pull homes for like spacing or you know specific defensive matchups you know all matchup dependent but generally speaking i think that those four are probably locks for the crunch time lineup as well is there a wonky, weird, out of left field, unconventional, whatever lineup that you're hoping they try, even if it's going to end up being disastrous? I, I wouldn't hate to see them at least give like that crazy try to some insane four guard lineup. Yeah, just giving their guards right, like, like do Mitchell, 
and Fox and Halliburton and Buddy and then like Alex Len just for like size to like protect the rim, right? Like just do something crazy, right? Like I don't think it'll work, but it'd be fun to watch. <laughs> Uh, that was almost mine to a T, except I threw out the pretense of size and said, put Harrison Barnes or, or Mo Harkless there um, <laughs> and just go. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I will say that some of the, the better preseason minutes we've seen for like Buddy Hield and uh, Marvin Bagley both came with Alex Len on the floor because for all those issues, he is a large person who stands in the middle and, and can de- deter guys who are getting in the lane. So I, I do think that he'll have a role there. And, and if you're looking at an all-guard lineup that's just going to basically be a funnel to the middle, you do need a, a big guy who you're not worried about picking up a couple quick fouls. <laughs> they, Luke Walton can play whoever the hell he wants as the fifth guy if those four, four guards are on the court at the same time. <laughs> Sacramento and Portland, and then there's another team. I can't remember which. There's like three teams I need to see the four-guard lineups from. Um, in Portland with like Simons and CJ oh, yeah. and Damon Powell. But so I can't remember what the, what the other team is off the top of my head. As we record this, man, the people who do these lines are really good. Uh, the Kings win total is set at 35.5. Are you taking the over or the under on that? And where do you see them stacking up in just the, the larger Western conference picture? Uh, so as a general rule, I would never recommend anyone. So anyone listening, I would never recommend betting the over on a King's line. It, it's a very easy way to lose money. Um, they have done it uh, um, once or twice during this drought. Personally, if I had to make a bet on it, I would take the over. And I actually did go ahead and, and place a bet Uh <laughs> on on the kings making the playoffs this year wow i I bet a whole dollar i don't bet big so i mean i'm just gonna put that in context i I bet a dollar to win 14 dollars uh that bet is more around the idea of there's going to be a trade that changes the the look of this roster like it, it just feels like that has to happen this season but i've also said that like the last year and a half so uh take that for what it's worth um, I'm almost inclined to go with the under unless you can tell me that that trade is going to happen. Um, I was a fan <laughs> of it felt very much theoretical and nothing that was actually necessarily being discussed to a, a real extent, but I was a big fan of the Pascal Siakam to Sacramento ideas. And Simmons obviously elevates your ceiling in a different way, but I actually love Siakam's fit um, with the the overarching roster if you're keeping Halliburton and Fox as, as part of that scenario as well. No, I, I totally agree. Obviously, there's some health concerns. He had, he had obviously a, a very down year, but I think it's a a decent risk for a team trying to break out of kind of a, a rut. Uh, when he, I mean, before last season when he was healthy and, you know, everything else that was going on last year, I mean, he, just an incredible player. And the fact that he was even maybe on the market was kind of a, a nice opportunity. Uh, so there was a lot of talk, you know, uh, over the summer, amongst our, our readers around do they go for Simmons do they go for Siakam I, I would be in favor of going for either one as long as like you said you're keeping Fox or our Fox and Halliburton it's kind of the the difficult part is the two players that everyone wants in those trades are the two you're trying to hold on to to pair with the guy you're bringing in it's yeah with Fox it's like I feel like you need to keep him in any star trade because the whole idea would be pairing two stars together and right. Halliburton is like that needs to be consensus 
Bradley Beal is coming and is saying he's going to resign territory, like that type of a, a player. Exactly. I mean, the only way you're giving up, the only way they're giving up Halliburton is, is truly one of those absolute superstars is available. You know, he's going to be there long-term, which the debate then is, does Simmons qualify as that level of superstar, which I, I understand why people don't, right? I mean, there's obviously the, the lack of the offensive firepower, the, the shooting, all of those different pieces. And for better or worse, defense just isn't valued the same way in, in the modern NBA, just the way the rules are and everything else. Um, so are you ready to get into Kyrie to Sacramento trade packages? <laughs> just kidding. Is there anything? Uh, I'm driving through a tunnel. <laughs> is there anything I didn't ask you about this team or anyone I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be touched upon? I mean, you haven't asked the obvious question of does Luke Walton make it through the season? <laughs> I'm just, the, that guy has like Teflon on him. But I can't believe he's still there. It's you're mentioning the defensive coordinator is gone and yet Luke Walton's tenure indoors. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, are we going to be complaining or am I going to be complaining midseason about why are the Kings not playing fast enough? Like, that just seems like a rite of passage at some point in the season. They slow things down for some reason. Yeah. And, and I mean, the the natural successor, if you look at their bench, is that Alvin Gentry would probably take over as the interim. And I don't know if that's necessarily better. It would just kind of be something different. So, uh, yeah, I was very surprised when Monty McNair came out and basically gave a stamp of approval after uh after the kings completely shit the bed down the stretch and and blew their chance at even making the play in um if they yeah. make the playoffs he's probably getting a contract extension or something it's probably something that i'm just don't saying if you had to choose <laughs> don't do this to me no th- what you have to hope is that if the kings make the playoffs they then view this as the, okay, now's the time to make our Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr switch, right? Like, <laughs> like we got to the playoffs and, and now we get a better coach. Like, <laughs> um, I guess that could unfold that way. My guess would be after ending that long playoff drought, it wouldn't unfold that way. No, probably not. I mean, that's not, I can't have nice things. I'm a Kings fan. <laughs> um, if you had to guess, would do you think that he, if they miss the playoffs, do you think he's gone? I think so. Um, and part of the reason I, I think that is that as far as I'm aware, uh, McNair doesn't have a super long contract. I think that next, not this season, but next season would be the final year of his contract. So it's kind of like the firing the coach is kind of that bullet in the gun to keep the pressure off him, you know, and obviously we've got an owner who, uh, you know, grows impatient with, with people who, who don't succeed right away. Uh, so I, I don't think Walton could survive another bad season um yeah man now you got me like rooting against making the playoffs like what are you doing to me here you were the one that brought up Luke Walton. <laughs> i almost let I did the podcast without even asking you about his future <laughs> but we can't it's so inexplicably tied to what the kings are going to do and and how good they can be that there's very little in his entire coaching history to suggest that luke walton can maximize the players on these rosters <laughs> He's just an, I don't consider myself just like this tactical savant, but he is just so frustrating with how he's coached this team. And that obviously says nothing of the off court stuff with him too. Just the Kings in general, just like never feel like they they're playing the way that they should be. And I don't even, do you even have like a 
like the single most frustrating thing about him or is it just like this smorgasbord of bullshit <laughs> the, the most frustrating thing is that and, and i i think it's a big part of why i think players like playing for him is that it just doesn't feel like and to his credit maybe this is all just happening behind the scenes and i don't see it but it doesn't ever feel like there's accountability when players are just checked out. It doesn't feel like there's accountability when players are doing really dumb things on the floor. Like there's never an adjustment. Like this guy just got, you know, Buddy Hill just got yanked because he, you know, pulled up on the 30 footer <laughs> instead of running the set play. Like it just doesn't seem to ever happen. And I mean, players do love playing for him. Like that has been made very clear through like everything we've heard that the players really do enjoy playing for him. But like, then we see like a halftime speech when the Kings are like trying to make the play. And it's just like the most dull thing I've ever seen. Like no one seems engaged or to care or anything like that. And it's like, what is happening here? Are, are players just happy because they're collecting checks and no one's yelling at them or what's happening? <laughs> it says a lot about the expectation of the organization too, that you've had buddy healed, <laughs> Like he liked a tweet that I sent about him being stuck in Sacramento last year from a brand account. And that was just business as usual. He almost gets traded <laughs> to the Lakers. And I just feel like it's not talked about enough that now they're trying to bring back someone who's been obviously disgruntled before he was even semi-officially traded. Is that like a, like, is that like a behind the scenes concern at this point? So I don't, I mean, again, Sacramento is not, the place that gets kind of the big media spotlight but buddy heels media day was the most hilariously passive aggressive thing i've ever seen like he's talking about like you know they love me in sacramento that's why i'm still here like, yeah. <laughs> like he's, oh, and, and he's not saying it in any way where anyone can like spin it as him being mad but it's clearly like I did not think I'd still be here, man. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, he's like talking about like, yeah, I'm everyone's friend. That's why I'm buddy. You know, <laughs> just I get along with everyone. Whatever they need me to do is fine. Like, he's, I mean, like you could tell like he was looking at like, all right, I'm going to be playing in LA next to LeBron and AD. And, and now it's like, you know, it's not that he necessarily dislikes anyone on the team, but to go from, having that yanked out from under you to just being back in Sacramento. Like it's obviously they draft another guard. Like, right, like <laughs> it's like, Hey, we draft a guy who plays defense. <laughs> uh, I like you would be, I think, I guess it's the King. So I shouldn't say I'd be super surprised, but I'd be modestly surprised if he finishes the season in Sacramento this year. He's clearly the player most likely to be traded just as you mentioned, because he has value. I think at this point, you don't settle for anything just to move him, but just like everything that's happened, it's almost just a wonder that he's still on this team. Yeah. I mean, it, it's wild. And some of it has been that McNair has not wanted to just sell low. He, he hasn't just been looking to get rid of guys for the sake of getting rid of guys and taking a crap return. Like he's held out for a decent return. And if he doesn't like the offer, he's not going to make the deal. He's been patient enough that he's willing to have the team play through some awkward situations or some bad fits or whatever it might be. And you look at what was the the room in return. I mean, Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, and maybe a first round pick. 
compared to what we were talking about the Kings dumping Buddy for at the trade deadline, that seemed like a really great return. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kuzma fan and, and Harrell obviously has his issues, but like if you added those guys to the roster instead of what they currently have, like the roster balance makes a lot more sense. Like suddenly Kuzma is like slotted in, you know, you've got Holmes and Barnes, Kuzma, Halliburton Fox like that starting five makes a lot more sense than what they currently have like so that's where I kind of see that trade going is not necessarily that they're getting something amazing in return but something that just kind of balances the roster in a way that makes some sort of sense and maybe even just breaking him up into two players like two digestible contracts at this point that was the other thing I mean Kuzma for whatever faults he has I mean he probably would have gotten more of a scoring role than what he had in LA I mean there was a chance that the Kings were buying a little low. He could have boosted his value, become a trade chip. Harrell, the expiring contract. I mean, player who, again, has limitations, but also has some value and does some things well. I mean, he's a year removed from six man of the year. I mean, two turning Buddy Hill's contract into two smaller contracts for productive rotation level players wouldn't have been a bad move overall. And if the Kings could get something similar to that, I, I could see that's where the deal happens again. I've, I like have trouble finding good buddy healed fits where it's like he fits everywhere. I'm just not sure who would be giving up value to get him. And then the teams where I could see them doing that. It's like with Philly, their contract situation is so weird when you're looking at sending out matching players. They're not, are they trading Danny green in that scenario? Because like the Kings don't want to buy his Harris unless it's part of a bigger trade. You're not getting Ben Simmons. So it's just, it's so complicated, but I do think he's a very valuable player. Um, I hope his post game. I'm mad that I missed that those media day comments. So I don't mean to root against you, but I could I could stand to see some awkward post game um, press conferences this season. So maybe I'll be entertained by that. <laughs> I mean, I would go look at it. He didn't talk to the media very long, and it, it, it's very funny. Like especially just kind of knowing the context of the he was almost gone and now he's back. It's just very very funny. <laughs> because he's clearly just kind of throwing out stuff that he's kind of messing with people but i mean it's not like an angry like i'm gonna ruin the locker room vibe it's just kind of like the hey guys i'm still here like yeah like and maybe, none of us expected this <laughs> and maybe like his you know rebellion will be a little bit subtle where it's like averaging a career high of pull up 30 footers per game just like taking one of those every night that are just so ill-advised or something i don't know but now i'm gonna be watching more closely than ever after hearing that he was a little um passive aggressive in his media day that's great yeah uh greg are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and the the work that you do yeah, so I'm on Twitter at GWIS, G-W-I-S-S. Uh, you can also find me at kingsherald.com. That's our website. We're an independent uh, website that covers the Sacramento Kings. And you can follow the website at the Kings Herald. Kings Herald's fantastic. My go-to for, for Kings coverage. Um, follow him on, again, I'll echo follow Greg on Twitter at GWIS. That's at G-W-I-S-S. Uh, he will police your tweets if you say that you are working and then end up tweeting. He will he will be in your DMs. Uh, but Greg, this was fantastic as always. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. Of course, anytime.